Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. So now I owe property taxes on that 1.7 number versus 300000 So that delta of property taxes they send you an envelope saying, we need you to pay that difference. And that is in those green envelopes and that's called supplemental taxes. Real quick, before the episode, I want to give you a gift of 25% off. And that gift actually is from TransUnion Smart Move. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. Because as landlords, we tend to be most concerned with getting paid on time. You might also know that hundreds of thousands of landlords have to deal with the headaches of evicting tenants each year. Evicting a tenant can be painful, costing as much as $10,000 in court costs and legal fees, and take as long as four weeks to complete. What if there's a trusted way to help prevent the headaches of dealing with evicting a tenant? Make the smart move right from the start. Smart Move's online tenant screening solution can help you quickly understand if you're getting a reliable tenant, which will help you avoid potential problems such as non-payment and evictions. For a limited time, listeners of this podcast are invited to try Smart Move tenant screening for 25% off. Here's how Smart Move can help you find your next great tenant. Make a more informed decision with Smart Move's proprietary credit score built specifically for tenant screening, which predicts evictions 15% better than a typical credit score. Reduce non-payment risk with Smart Move's Income Insights Report, which enables you to analyze the applicant's income within minutes and determine if additional income verification is needed. Get critical information quickly with a full credit report, criminal background, and eviction history report. With over 5 million screenings completed, SmartMove can help you make a better leasing decision for your rental property. If you own a rental property, SmartMove can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Sean Pan, how you doing, Sean? How's it going, Joe? Thanks a lot for having me on your show today. Well, it's going well and you're welcome and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Sean. He's a real estate investor located in the Bay Area. He started his real estate investing career by buying a small portfolio of cash-flowing rentals in Jacksonville, Florida, all across the country. And since, he's completed five flips in his backyard in the Bay Area. With that being said, Sean, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Absolutely. Thanks again. My name is Sean Pan. started as an engineer over in Los Angeles, making satellites for the government. 
I just realized that over some time that this isn't where I wanted to be 30 years down the road. And I wanted to find a way to get that financial freedom and be able to do things that I wanted to do. And that's how I stumbled into real estate investing. And that's how I stumbled into purchasing cash flowing properties over in Jacksonville, Florida. And then later on, I moved over up to the Bay Area. In the Bay Area, it's a little bit different. People here are more interested in flipping homes. And just by hanging around so many flippers, I became a flipper myself. Hmm. Did you have a full-time job when you bought that portfolio in Jacksonville? Exactly right. I had a full-time job. I was saving have, money. Do you still have it? Or are you doing this full-time now? Actually, I just put my two weeks in. This All right. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you so much. Wow. All right. So you had your full-time job. And when you found the cash flowing properties in Jacksonville, and I, then I interrupted you, sorry, I just wanted to ask you. So please continue. So then I started hanging around with a lot of flippers in the Bay Area, going to a lot of the meetup groups in the area and learning how to flip properties. And that's just how I got into flipping houses. Okay. Let's rewind a little bit to the Jacksonville portfolio. When I say portfolio, I'm just repeating what I see in the show notes. What exactly did you purchase? Right now I have two single family homes and one fourplex. Okay. So two singles, one fourplex, six total units. What was the total purchase price? Oh, geez. First one's about $80,000. Second one was an auction home. So 40,000 on that one. We put another 15 grand to rehab that one. And then the last one was a fourplex we bought for about 250. Okay. So 250 fourplex and 80,000. And what was the other one? 40. 80 and 40. One was from an auction. Yeah. So you bought them separate times then. Exactly. So it's, it's a portfolio that I bought over time. Portfolio bought over time. Okay, cool. Auction. That was your second purchase. You know how it goes, right? When you buy the first one, you just want another deal. Right. Of course. <laughs> so I bought my first one. And I was like, all right, this is pretty good. The $80,000 one. Exactly. I was like, all right, it's pretty good. You buy for 80,000 rents for 900, about the 1% rule. So mm-hmm. good enough. My friend said he had a connect who actually worked on auction.com. And it was like, oh, he has a list of what the banks actually want for a property. Mm-hmm. So even though something says 60,000 is like the estimate, they know that banks only want 40. So it's like, all right, put in a bid at 40 and we got it. Okay. What did you do with the property once you purchased it in terms of renovations and renting it out and costs or the rent price, all that stuff? My property manager, he's a godsend. He took care of everything, basically. He went in there. It was a wreck. There was someone living there, a squatter. Luckily, we were able to do cash for keys. He just got six crisp $50 bills and just kind of wafted her in her face like, mm, <laughs> you want these? Get out. <laughs> so she did. She got out with only $300. So we got pretty lucky there. $15,000 remodel in Jacksonville goes a very long way. And we rehabbed it and were able to rent it for eight fifty. Good for you. So all in $55,000 and six $50 bills. Did I hear that right? So $300. So all in $55,300. And you are renting it for $800? Bucks? Yeah, $850. Okay, $850. Sorry, didn't mean to shortchange on that. <laughs> okay. And then you bought a fourplex. Then I bought a fourplex. How long ago was this? This was about two years ago. Only two years ago. All right. What are the numbers on the fourplex? You said you bought it for 250 And then what about rehab and income that it generates? Yeah. So that one was pretty stable already. When I bought it, it was going for about 650 per door. After we turned the units, now it's about 750 per door. So again, my property manager, he's the one that is doing all the work. And of course, we do repairs here and there, but nothing too major on the fourplex. Okay. So you haven't put a substantial money into it for capex or anything you just bought it for 250 and 
you've been making any improvements from the cash flow of the property. Right. Okay. What type of financing did you get on each of the three? The first one, I wanted to get the deal. It was actually listed for a hundred. I said, how can we negotiate down? So actually I bought it with cash and then we did delayed financing. So after we closed with cash, then I did a loan to get paid back. Okay. The second one, which is a pure cash play. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the third one was traditional financing. So for multifamily, it was a uh, 25% down. Okay. Have you since put a loan on that $40,000 auction house? I was going to, but then I got too lazy and the cash flow is good enough. So it's just there. Yeah, I hear you. So you're in San Francisco. These properties are in Jacksonville. How'd you end up in Jacksonville? So I've been going to all these real estate meetup groups and consistently Jacksonville hit those top 10 of quote unquote best markets to invest in. And all the other 10, I was like, I'm not sure about the weather here. I don't know about snow. I don't know about tornadoes. And I thought, oh, Florida, it's sunny. Hurricanes aren't that common. And of course, after I bought them, Irma hits. And the other one recently hit as well, but luckily none of my stuff got affected. What type of expenses do you have on the properties in terms of anything that is higher than what would be in other areas to the best of your knowledge? For example, insurance or property management fees. You said your manager's really good. So can you just talk a little bit about that? Sure. Not going to lie. I'm pretty sure I'm paying more for my property manager. I'm paying him 10% mm -hmm. a month, but it's worth it. Property management's a hard job. And at the end of the day, what's 10% of a couple of thousand dollars, right? Versus 8% that some people would get. Insurance is definitely higher because of the hurricane risk. So it's about $1,000 per door. Okay. When you take a look at your portfolio in Jacksonville, you are cash flowing and it's making you some money. Why did you decide not to continue to build that out in Jacksonville and instead focus your efforts on San Francisco flips? I'm sure everyone has the same story where they love buying rentals, but after a certain point, they run out of capital. Mm, so yeah. what do you do after that? Right. You could raise the money, which I had no capable of doing that at the time because I didn't know anything about it. So I thought, how can I get more capital? And by hanging around investors here, there are a lot of people that I know personally that are making over seven figures a year flipping homes here in the Bay Area. Okay. And just talking to them, learning the strategies seemed, okay, not too bad. That's why I focus on that. Let's talk about the first flip. What are the numbers and will you tell us about the project? Oh yeah. So the first flip was so interesting because I spent maybe two years spinning my tires, sending out letters, cold calling people, and nothing was happening. But it just so happened that I used to volunteer at a meetup group and my co-meetup volunteer my friend who sat next to me every time, she had a deal that she couldn't handle because she had too much on her plate already. And she actually sent it to the other investors who didn't want it because I guess the numbers looked tight for them. For me, I knew the area pretty well. I thought it was pretty good. So I jumped in with her. We partnered on the deal. We bought that one for 865, so 865,000 for rehab, which might surprise a lot of your listeners because to us, that's really cheap. For you guys, it's super expensive. Mm -hmm. We put about 75,000 into it. So complete rehab, changed everything, kitchen, bathrooms. And when we sold it, we sold it for $1.4 million. Mm -hmm. That's a big profit. Yeah. So we got a huge profit on a very first deal. And so here I am sitting pretty thinking, ah, <laughs> making money is easy. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about it. You bought it for eight sixty five, right? Yep. And how much did you put into it? $75,000. $75, so you're all in for less than nine fifty, and you sell it for 1.4. What were your carrying costs? We paid 2.5 points up front, and I believe it was 9% in 
annualized interest. Do you know what roughly that amount totals up to be? I don't remember the exact details on that one. 50,000, 20,000, 100,000? Probably about 30. On, on 30. The, okay. All right. Because yeah. so, we held it for only three months. Yeah. So you all killed it on this one. Oh, yeah. What do you think the difference was between what people at your meetup were seeing and what you saw? So first of all, these other investors, they get tons of deals that come on the table. So they're able to cherry pick the very best ones. And of course, when you're at the high level, everyone's super risk averse. So if they don't need to take on a deal, they won't take it. Mm-hmm. So this one, I guess, just didn't fit their criteria. And at the time, maybe the ARV was a little bit smaller. We definitely got even luckier because when we bought it and to the point where we sold it, the market actually increased about $100,000 in that neighborhood just because it was just so crazy at that time. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you line up the financing for this one on your very first flip? I reached out to my network on Facebook asking if anyone knew a hard money lender. You know, when you're brand new and you have no connections, it's pretty hard to get something done. But I was able to connect with a hard money lender down in Southern California who worked with me, even though it was my first deal. Cool. All right. So that was the first one. And then out of the five that you've done, which one was the least profitable or not profitable? (laughs) You want to hear some horror stories? Yes, please. All right. Here's some horror stories. So actually, my latest claim to fame is that I lost so much money on a deal that I ended up on Bloomberg Magazine. So you may know me as that guy that lost a bunch of money on a flip. Okay. I haven't read it. So please elaborate. I'll send you the link later on. Okay. All right. Long story short, for people who want to skip to the end. Well, I don't want to skip. We don't want to skip to the end. All right. We're not going to skip to the end. I'll tell you the story. I bought this house in May of 2018. This is the peak of the market last year. This property was two blocks away from Apple's brand new campus. Beautiful like location. A, seems like a home run so far. Seems like a home run so far. The property was at first listed on the MLS for $2 million. They contacted us because that house was sitting on the market and no one was buying it. So we went over. We thought, oh, MLS property? There's no way this is going to be worthwhile. But we dug deeper. We saw, oh, the listing agent is from Turlock, which is like two and a half hours away from where the property is located. So he wasn't going to come over to do open houses. He said, no open houses. If you want to go inside the house, contact the seller directly. No one's going to do that for a $2 million house. And second of all, he took pictures with a very old camera and they didn't even stage the property. They were still living there. So all that combined, we thought, okay, this is the reason why it's not moving. It's just unattractive. It was marketed incorrectly. Down the street, there was a home that was being listed for $2.5 million. Our house was a little bit smaller. We thought our ARV could be $2.2, $2.3 million. And so based on our numbers, we thought, okay, if we can get for $1.8 million or lower, that's a slam dunk right there. Yep. So we actually put an offer for 1.7, kind of low bottom a little bit, and they straight up rejected us. I was reading this book by Chris Voss called Never Split the Difference. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that one before? I have. I interviewed him. Yeah. Great book. So he says that if you want to negotiate and you want a lower number, use actual numbers. So you don't end your bid with zero, zero, zero in the thousands because that just seems that you pull that number out of nowhere. So instead, we, we bid in 1.757923. And I remember that number because it's so weird. <laughs> and when they got that offer, they looked at it like, what is this number? How did they choose this number? <laughs> and they accepted it. And then the listing agent said, all right, they accepted it. Write up the offer. And so right there, I was shocked. I was like, oh my goodness, this guy doesn't realize that we intended to use him as the buyer's agent to represent us. 
he told me to write up the offer and I have a license, but I don't really practice. So I learned on the spot how to write a contract. And just by doing that, we gained an extra $45,000 because we got 2.5% of that sales price. Okay. So we thought we were sitting pretty. We basically got this house that we won for 1.8 for about 1.705 all in. Oh, all right. Yeah. So we thought we were good. There was a house across the street that someone was trying to wholesale for 1.825 that was in worse condition and smaller lot. So again, long story short, we thought we were great. But then we started getting creative. We thought, hmm, what if we take down this wall here? What if we make an open kitchen layout? So that involves getting architects and structural engineers and more inspectors. Well, all that stuff takes time. Mm-hmm. So after being delayed and working on this project for months, finally, we were ready to go on the market. What did you do that you hadn't done in previous projects that took a little bit longer besides knocking down a wall? That's basically it. Okay, we, never worked with, we never worked with architects before. We didn't realize that structural engineers could hold you back so long. Mm-hmm. Just all these serial tasks make it so that your project goes longer than you okay. need. So how, how long did it take from when you had it under contract to when you were listing it? So we bought it in middle of May and we listed it in the first week of November. Okay. We thought we would be in and out within two months. Yeah. And so here we are four, over the, yeah, five months later. Four or five months. All right. Yeah. But the thing about that is that's when the market turned. See, peak to trough in our area was a 25% drop from the hot of June 2018 to the low of November 2018, 25% delta. Mm-hmm. And when we listed the property that same weekend, we had these fires up in Paradise, California. Oh, yeah. No one was walking around. No. I want to go to open houses. I laughed that I was going to a restaurant with my friend and I was like, how come we don't have to get a reservation today? This is great. So after a while, this house just sat on the market. No one was looking at it. What's a while? Surprisingly, a while is only two weeks. In the Bay okay. Area, <laughs> if your property isn't sold within 10 days, then there must be something wrong with it. There's All a right. stigma to this property now. Okay. So people started finding excuses why no one else was bidding on it. And they said, oh, I noticed this $2 million property has no garage. In the Bay Area, garages aren't necessary. And for the most part, people don't park their cars in the garage. They park their stuff. Mm -hmm. So that became a big anti-selling point for most people. They said, oh, I love the house. It's beautiful. Location's great. Oh, but no garage? Deal breaker. Did the one that was, I think you said, with 2.5, did that have a garage? That one did have a garage. Ah, That one ended up selling for only 2.3. Again, the market shifted as well. Okay. And don't get me wrong. This property has parking. This property has a lot of parking. It has a carport and it has a giant shed in the back. But because of like setback laws, we weren't even able to add a garage if you wanted to. Okay. So we were basically stuck. You said it has a carport? It has a carport. Can you not enclose that? Unfortunately not because of setback laws. Oh, all right. Yep. Yep. So basically it's an overhang, but there's no way I can add a wall in there because of setback laws. Okay. And so we went over the winter break. We just kind of had it on the MLS we decided to take it down for a whole month so that we could reset the days on market to make it seem like it's a brand new listing. Mm-hmm. Is that what it takes? You got to take it down for 30 days in order to do the reset? That's correct. Okay. And we put it back on the market and it was still not moving. And this whole time I'm paying holding costs on $1.7 million hard money loan. Yeah, that's rough. And I was but- laughing. Oh, 
especially due to the time of year too, because it's not just the old downturn in San Fran, but I believe you're in November, December, January at this point in time, which that's not exactly peak buying time. Yep. Seasonality affected us as well. Yep. Just wasn't moving. What were the holding costs every month? For that one property, I was paying 11500 not including staging costs or utilities or those beautiful green envelopes called supplemental taxes. <laughs> <laughs> so all in, what were you paying a month, would you say? Okay, so at least 12500 because of staging. And then supplemental taxes are these beautiful green envelopes that say, hey, you owe these extra taxes based on what you bought and what the previous owner had to pay in taxes. So those are like $15,000 checks as well. How often? Those only happen once or twice. It's not a recurring like Once thing. or twice over five, six months? Like the year. Oh, wow. Okay. So do you, do you know what supplemental taxes are? Educate me. Okay. Basically, when the previous owner bought the property, he probably bought it 20 years ago for $300,000. Mm-hmm. So his property tax is based on that $300,000. And based on a proposition here in California, that property tax can only increase by about 1% a year. So he was paying a couple thousand a year for his property. But now here I come new buyer. I buy it for $1.7 million. So now I owe property taxes on that 1.7 number versus 300,000. So that Delta of property taxes, they send you an envelope saying, we need you to pay that difference. And Mm -hmm. that is in those green envelopes and that's called supplemental taxes. So I got that one the day of my Thanksgiving party and I was very unhappy. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, all right, Sean, you want another $15,000. I was like, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) And don't get me wrong. I did really well my first flip. I've done really well in my career and investing in other things. But at this time, I was invested in multiple projects at the same time and they were all going south. So it wasn't just this 11.5. I was paying... 30,000 total a month, mm-hmm. all my holding costs. And I was joking because I went to Asia and I was hanging out with a friend in Taiwan and I was asking her about her base salary. And I was like, oh my God, I'm paying your base salary in holding costs alone every single month. And I kind of feel like a boss. It's pretty yeah. cool. Right. <laughs> so then what happened with the deal? It did not move. <laughs> we basically held it on the market for five months from beginning of November until think March, uh-huh. it didn't move. So we had to just drop the price significantly, get off the books and fire sale it. And we eventually got someone who came in and offered us the best offer we got was a hundred thousand dollars less than what we even bought it for. Okay. So 1.6. I think we got 1.675. 1.675. Yeah. So imagine a whole year's worth of holding costs on hard money, mm-hmm. all the repair costs that we did. And the purchase price, we basically lost $400,000 on this one project. Was it someone who was moving in or were they also a real estate investor? Oh, no, it's a family. Okay. Yeah. So this is a primary residence. This is a primary residence. And when we checked up on a couple weeks later, we saw that they were making even more renovations. So we're like, (laughs) great, I guess. (laughs) Good for them. Well, they had a $2 million budget and they were able to get a really good deal. So they had some money to invest back into the property. If you're willing to sacrifice a garage, yeah, yeah you can get a great deal in the Bay Area apparently. <laughs> and it's funny too. So I told my story on Bloomberg Magazine. I got published and became the number one read article. I got a bunch of people listening to me. A lot of hate talk, obviously, like, oh, this guy's stupid, but eh, whatever, it's fun. The agent who helped buy that house actually contacted me and 
now I'm going to get lunch with him next week. So like, you might as well make a connection while you're at it. Right. Exactly. What's done is done. You've done five flips. What number was that? Number three. Number three. Okay. So basically number three, four are losers. Number five, I'm still in it. And it's probably going to be a big L as well. Okay. Well, taking a step back now, this is a perfect time for this question. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? My best real estate investing advice ever is that real estate investing is a business. I think this is being said very often, but it needs to be taken a little more seriously. Think about creating Facebook or LinkedIn. You probably don't do this on the side or just part-time. If you're going to do this seriously, you do this with determination and you do this with extreme focus. My biggest mistake was that I outsourced too much of the responsibility. I thought that it was easy based on the experiences of my first flip where you can rely on the other parties to take care of everything. But your money's at risk. So you should be the one making sure that you have everything in line and make sure everything runs smoothly. And on that deal number three, the main thing was the delay where instead of two months, you're in and out, it was four to five months and then you finally listed it. That wasn't outsourcing the process, but it was incorporating a new part of a process. So was that your idea to knock down the wall and then try and do a different layout? Or is that someone that you spoke to and they're like, yeah, we should do this. And you're like, you know what? Yeah, sure. Let's, let's roll with it. And then you just kind of sat back and watched it unfold. So I take full responsibility for everything that happened. I don't remember if it was my idea per se to knock down that wall, but once we all agreed on it, we did it. But what I should have done was I should have followed up because we had some issues in the middle. Basically in the plans, there was a specific choice that needs to be put down for the foundation and I guess the foundation width was different than planned. So the inspector said, get the structural engineer to write this document. It took that structural engineer about a whole month to do it because he had his own personal issues going on or he had too much work. That letter ended up being only three sentences, but that delayed oh, us by my. a whole month. So if I knew about it, if I was there, I could have, one, talked to the structural engineer and said, hey, man, it's three sentences. I'll write it for you. You just sign it. Or two, I could have found another structural engineer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think another thing is that I thought I knew a lot because I was successful, but I did it. I thought that not having a garage was no big deal because I grew up in the Bay Area in a different city, but we don't care about garages. But when you say a $2 million home, now they have their nice looking cars, they probably want a garage. So I didn't know about that. I was just learning as I was going. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? (laughs) Let's do it. All right, let's do it. I know you're ready. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you own a rental property, TransUnion Smart Move can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. 
Okay, best ever book you've recently read. Best ever book is the best ever apartment syndication book by Joe Fairless. All right. You like that one, huh? I do. I do. Good. Glad to hear it. What's the best ever deal you've done? The best ever deal I've done is that first one I did in Sunnyvale where I made around $300,000 in profit. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? Right now, I am also a podcast host for the best ever real estate investing show. I'm also a meetup group leader where I bring people together to talk about events and different strategies. And I love just giving back and writing blog posts and giving out free notes when I go to conferences. I just give away free notes for everybody because I know they're too busy to take their own. Oh, that's cool. And what is the best way the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? So the best way you can get in touch with me is by sending me an email at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Or check out my website, everythingrei.com. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I know you've shared it already. I, I wasn't aware of your story, but clearly you've shared it already in other channels. But thanks for talking about it and then talking about the lessons learned. And boy, that structural engineer comment really resonates with me because it's about being educated on the process and then also being tenacious and following up with certain team members who are holding up the process and offering up some solutions to them. So thanks for being on the show and sharing your wins and losses and lessons learned. Hope you have a best ever day. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Joe. Take care. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out.